Okay, boom. Happy Sunday, everybody, and welcome back to another show of Real Drug Talk. My name is Jack Nagel. Um, so in today's show, um, very, very cool, we have Lucas, um, who was a participant from the Addicted Australia television show that aired last year that has really got the conversation um, started around addiction. Um, so it was super cool to be able to get Lucas as a guest to come on and share his story, um, tell his personal story of addiction and recovery and also you know, talk about what it was like um, being a participant on the show. Um, we had Craig on a few weeks ago who was one of the peer support coordinators but uh, we really wanted to have a participant and we had Lucas on and it was really um, intriguing and interesting to have that chat with him. So that's the show that we have for you today which is super duper exciting. Um, look, a couple of things. We actually talked about it briefly. We have something that's called the Experience Matters Collective. Myself and Lily Owen who's been on the podcast as well have launched this and, and what the organisation is all about is creating employment opportunities for people that have a lived experience. Um, and the reason I bring this up is because we chatted a little bit about the system and this lived experience stuff with Lucas and he was very passionate about it. So I thought I'd just introduce it and talk about it. And we have a free membership base and part of that whole organisation is professionalising the peer workforce in the alcohol and drug space so that we can have a pathway out for people and have some structure around what it means to have a lived experience. So, um, yeah, really, really cool. So if you want to check that out and be part of the membership base, it's 100% um, free, your information's kept private and we actually work to create employment opportunities for you. You can visit www.emcollective.com.au. That's www.emcollective.com.au and you can register um, and leave some details about yourself and start to go through those trainings. We have an online membership portal that you'll get registered into once you enroll. Um, and yeah, check it out. Um, so we're so excited to bring this show to you. It was a really great interview with Lucas. Um, so without any further ado, here we go, into the show. Okay, boom. Welcome back to another show of Real Drug Talk, everybody. Now, I'm, um, I'm super excited because uh, yeah, I, I don't say this facetious, facetiously, um, but I'm in, the, I'm in the presence of um, someone famous. No, <laughs> I'm, I'm joking. But, uh, but I, do, I do think it's pretty special and I, and I actually have been very, very inspired and, um, you know, yeah, just inspired by seeing um the show addicted australia we've we've actually got lucas today who was on the show talking to us um but yeah i i feel like i do have to say i was i was watching the show and i was watching everyone that was on the show including lucas and i was like wow these people are really fucking brave you know because i remember when i did some media stuff it was only those so, sort of shorter clips on the news or whatever I was a bit into my recovery. It wasn't like someone was opening up the the curtains and like looking into my treatment process. Um, and I just thought, wow, that's very brave to be able to do that. So I'm super excited to to chat to Lucas today and and um, yeah, hear his experiences. How you going, mate? Yeah, good. Thanks. How are you? Yeah, pretty good. Thanks. Thanks for coming on the show. Um, so. Tell us a bit about that whole journey. Like, we'll get into your story and stuff like that, but people might have, you know, might know a little bit about you from seeing the show and and all that sort of stuff. But what was it like? What was it like going on national TV and and not only telling your story, but 
letting someone watch you kind of, I guess, in your most vulnerable moments. <laughs> yeah, it was, um, it, was a, it was a weird experience. It wasn't as uh, confronting as what you would think looking back at it. Yeah. I think I was at such a point of desperation that the cameras didn't matter. Yeah. So I think when people say, well, you, you're brave and I don't know how you did it, it's just like, well, to me, that was my only choice. Yeah. So everything that you would think was a hindrance, like having someone around 20, or not 24-7, but a fair chunk of your time actually was more of a help yeah. than anything else because it was someone else to talk to, but it was a, you know, they will follow you, say, like, I live in Geelong, and they'll follow me on my train trip into Melbourne, and then, like, walking through the CBD, and, like, you'll get just, like, people just, like, running away from the camera and, like, just yelling at uh, Vince, the cameraman, and telling him to leave me alone and stuff like that. Like, that was the weird part, is, like, seeing other people's reactions to a camera. Oh, wow. Yeah, but, because um, cause that's the insight, because... We, as we were talking about before we went on air, like we, we did the interview with Craig. Um, but I guess that's why I was excited to talk to yourself because you, you were an actual, you know, you, you were the star of the show, if that makes sense. You were what the show was about, was yeah, people yeah. going through their journey. Um, and and so, so you had the camera people with you all the time, pretty much. Oh, they'd be allocated dates. So they'd be like, a, each cameraman would have like two or two or so participants. It really depended. And uh, they would spend their day sort of equally or whenever they think we were going to do something that was worth filming. But yeah, they would film all that trivial stuff like, you know, going shopping or going to, um, <laughs> going to work, being on lunch break, all that sort of stuff. And oh, it was a bit daunting at the start, like, you know, especially because I wasn't really telling anyone about work. I didn't know how I could tell anyone or anything like that. I didn't know what yeah. kind of were. And there was that sort of apprehension there. But... The camera part was the like it was actually the easy part. It was yeah. the hard part was just like having to deal with other people's reactions to a camera being in that area. Like, Interesting. It, but that but that goes back to you know you do this. I've done it out of desperation. Like it wasn't because of anything else. So the cameras were just a, an afterthought. Like yeah. I was there for the end goal of recovering. Yeah. So yeah, and that's amazing. So so like. Uh, the things that I'm I'm keen to ask you about, um, and again, why I'm so excited to talk to you is because, you know, the show's called Real Drug Talk, but we talk about addiction and recovery just largely. And, you know, your thing is with gambling. And we've talked to some people that have had some gambling issues. You might know of him. I don't know if you're into the footy, but there's this guy, Alan Christensen, who used to be a footy player. Yeah, I speak to him. I spoke to him a couple of times now, so yeah. Amazing, amazing. Um, yeah, and it's and it's interesting, you know, when we talk to you guys, um, you have exactly the same, you know, the the sort of the drug or the addiction as it manifests might be different, but all the characteristics seem to be the same, the way you think and feel and all that stuff. Oh, identical, identical. Like, I think during the show, I had to come to terms with how many addictions I had in my life prior to gambling. Wow. And drugs were definitely, like, big part of my life from 14 till 20, 29 there you go. but gambling was a another beast yeah. like it it was a full addiction but yeah the characteristics and i guess that's what the show show and the group in particular helped me realize was that all the four patterns are the same all the yeah. feelings and emotions you go through are exactly the same you know sure the physical you know how people will tell physically and stuff might differ but there's a lot of similarities there like we're talking before about the weight 
the weight thing was like I would drop like 10 to 20 kilograms in a month if I gambled all my money because wow. I had nothing to eat. Like I was eating out of bins at one point. And, and you'd be fucking stressed. Yeah, that's it. Constantly stressed, not sleeping. Like yeah. three, four hours a night sleep. Like I'd go to the doctors to get a check and they're just like, oh, you know, you're stressed. And I thought I was going to have a heart attack at one point. I was getting constant numbness in my arm. And wow. yeah, just the stress was so overwhelming in my body. But people don't really associate that with gambling because you're not putting a, a physical substance into it. They think there's no effect. But the sh- because my mind was completely active, the, the amount of stress I was able to put myself under was fucking ridiculous. Yeah. Like, I would put myself into a stressful situation every day, every day, every moment, just to live. So, yeah, wow. it, it took a toll. It took a huge physical toll. Wow. And since I haven't gambled, I've probably put on like 40 kilograms. <laughs> you know, and, I, and I, that's the reality of it. Like, it's, it's stress. It's stress and it's like a sleep that gets you in the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's very interesting to me. And um i i find it i find that the amazing thing about addiction you know when you talk to people it it sort of doesn't matter what it is it's it all is very similar in the way it kind of makes you feel and think and the behaviors like you said so going into the show that's what i wanted to ask you like you know did you did you have reservations around kind of being around a group of people that use substances did you feel like you were going to be different did you have questions in your own mind about how is this going to work for me you know all that sort of stuff yeah i think i did but i didn't think i overly questioned because i thought this is a chance to sort of learn a bit more about addiction as a whole because i didn't feel like it was vice specific like i i didn't feel like you know i had to be treated i think that was my battle with seeking help was that I wanted an inclusive environment mm-hmm. and I never found that inclusive environment where yeah. addiction was treated as an addiction, not as like, well, you're a gambler. So you have to go to GA and do this and mm. well, you're an alcoholic. You have to go here and here, but I didn't want to be labeled. I just, I was an addict and I wanted to work out why and how do I beat this? And yeah, that, that was amazing that they gave me that space to be treated as a normal person or as a normal person with an addiction. Yeah. Like it gave me for the first time as a gambler the the opportunity to participate in the same things like a, an alcoholic or a drug user would do. Like in terms of re- I didn't do rehab or anything like that, but there were options there for me. And beforehand, yeah. options weren't really presented to you as a gambler. Like that's right. There's none. There's none. There's like it's kind of like counselling, right? Yeah. Yeah, and not even a psychologist. It's right. a counsellor. So yeah. like, there's a clear difference mm. between a psychologist and a like just a general counsellor. Mm. like a cancel it just seems to go through more through those motions at the start like what you can do what you can't and that's sort of it but a psychologist will help you sort of break down why you're actually doing it Mm. Mm. and it's interesting you say that as well like even this is what i've found and i don't know if you feel the same after after doing sort of more of a structured rehab program through the show but when it comes to addictions, I, th- I think this is where a lot of people get slipped up. And, and don't get me wrong, any type of help is great, is fantastic. Mm. But if you're really kind of stuck in a pattern like you were um, and, you know, things have kind of crossed that magical red line, I like to call it, often, you know, counselling or, or some psych- psychology appointments, it's, it's not enough because it's not intense enough. And, and a lot of people don't understand that, you, you know, you're, 
your addictive pattern gets really, it's really strong and really ingrained um, when you get to a point like that and you need something intensive. That doesn't necessarily, like you said, doesn't necessarily mean that you have to go away to like a traditional inpatient rehab, but like you did in the show, something outpatient, something where there's lots of services impacting on you pretty much every day of the week. That's how, would you agree with that? Is that what you found? Totally. And that's what I was probably looking for. Look, I admitted I had a problem probably the first six months of my addiction. Yeah. And I just could not find the help. But that was a lot to do with my mindset as well. Like I probably found some amazing people along the way, but just didn't want to hear it. Yeah. Because I didn't have that full wraparound like support. And with the wraparound support, what I did was like someone pointing out something every time, like, you know, well, have you thought about this or why are you doing this? Like the biggest help was actually Vince, my producer. Like he would ask me the most <laughs> stupid questions, yeah. but it's questions like you don't really think about at all. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And when someone asks you, like, oh shit, you know, why am I doing this? Like I'd never really thought about it. And it does, it t- takes a whole community. Like it takes more than one. And like the, the, uh, the group was a big part. Yeah, like having an inclusive group, but yeah, like, the pe- like the peers, yeah, peer group, um, yeah. the actual people itself, probably more than peers. Yeah, just yeah. listening to them and like realizing that, well, you're in it. I still remember that first group, and none of us had met each other at all, and the, you know, they rushed us off into our own little rooms and made this big deal about not seeing anyone else that was on the show, and they walked <laughs> us in one by one into that room. And then it just really sank what we were doing. And you hear people talk, like, we'll just have a laugh beforehand. And then they got into it. And just like, I think the first person to speak was Matt. And it just sank in. It was like, oh, fuck, what are yeah. we doing here? And then I just remember, like, leaving at the end of it, just shaking. It was like I was, you know, having withdrawals. Yeah. Like, it was like, shaking. I just couldn't do anything. I just wanted to do something. I wanted to go gamble. But then I didn't want to gamble. And it was just like, fuck, I'm really an addict. Like, that was the moment where wow. I felt like, well, fuck, I really have a problem. Yeah, wow. So, so it was kind of like someone almost like, did you find in that first group, it was like the first time you had yourself reflected back to yourself yeah. or something like that? I still remember when we were doing the introduction, um, I introduced myself and just hearing that, I just felt like I heard, heard this, when I said I'm a gambler and how much I would gamble and the legs I'll go to, like, it was just this snap in my mind. Yeah. It's like, oh, shit, this is how bad it actually is. Because I never heard anyone's reaction about my gambling before. Like, when you got people close to you, they more enable you, I guess, or, you know, softly pat you through it. They don't really give you the hard truth. Yeah. But just hearing people, seeing people's body language, it's just like, oh, fuck. I, I'm no different. I've really got a problem. Like, right. I, I need to be here. <laughs> It's so interesting. Um, I actually, you kind of made the hair stand up on the back of my neck then because when I, when I went to rehab, that, that was very similar. Like I remember just going in there a bit apprehensive. Things were kind of strange. And we sat in a group like that and, you know, I came in and there was this, there was this big burly guy with tattoos that looked like, he kind of looked like a biker, sort of tough guy. I don't know. He started crying and talking about how guilty he felt about like how he'd hurt his son through his addiction, you know, just by not being there and stuff like that. And I don't know, it just like triggered me and I just started crying, you know, and as the first, like you just said, it was the first time I realized as well, wow, like this is, 
what's actually happening to me and what's going on. And it's interesting how that sort of group dynamic, you know, has such, has such power. Um, yeah, it's, it's really cool to hear that. Do you think there's enough of that stuff in, in, in society and in the no. right format? Yeah. No, I've probably spent, well, turning points still run the group. Like not the group, as as you see, as you saw in Australia, but there's still remnants of it, which didn't exist before the show, which so <laughs> that's fantastic. So yeah. I actually have a place I can go and feel comfortable. Amazing. I didn't have that have that before, and I can't thank them enough for that. But um, I've been trying to find other groups, like trying to distance myself a little bit from the show, mm-hmm. because that's been the difficult part. Is like watch a recovery, watch the show, sort of thing, and you just you want to just go on your own journey. But I've, I've done about, I think, 12 different online groups at the moment through different parts of the world and GA and stuff like that. And yep. Yeah, like that inclusiveness is so important. Like mm. you really need a group that are there just for the addiction. And yeah. there's another group uh, for kicking the pump and they just do gambles, but they have family members come in cool. and talk about the effects. And even that is just like, fuck, all right. Yeah. I needed to hear that. <laughs> That's interesting. I've seen, I want to have that guy on actually. I've got to reach out to him. Yeah, Benny. Him on Twitter. Yeah. They're, they're doing lots of good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, um, no, Benny. So how have you found, how have you found, um, just, sorry, we're kind of going on a tangent here because I'm listening yeah. to you talk. I've got so many questions. <laughs> sorry. Um, so how have you found, up, so after doing the show and, and all that sort of stuff, like, as you're talking about groups and things like that, like how have you found the system? Have you, have you kind of connected with the 12 step stuff, GA things like, you know, has it been challenging? Sounds it's like. been very, very challenging. Mm. It's as challenging as what it was before I started the program. But mm. in that respect, turning points still there to an extent, not in the same manner. Yeah. But if I need to talk to someone, I could go talk to Dan. Yeah. Like uh, I don't think Anna's working there at the moment. So that would have been preferable, but it's there's still someone there and they still guide me through a little bit and they've still got the group but connecting with other programs is i don't know if that's personally me just struggling but i don't find the system transparent enough yeah and like you know when you're having a hard day like when i'm having a bad a bad day i can't even sit there and pay rent or anything like that i'll just be like how do I, my brain just doesn't connect to what i'm doing like yeah. how do i do this and that's what will lead me to gambling so that was the same thing for help. Like, there's not transparent enough help where I go, I need an appointment. Can I get one? And like, no, you have to do this process and that process. And the, on- the, the online meetings are great because they're just open to anyone. And yeah. went to GA for the first time in years the other night, and I hated GA. Yeah, like I absolutely hated it. And I understand it does a lot of people a lot of good and I'm glad it does. But for some people, it just doesn't work. It's just different different times. But I realised what it was last night. I was like, it's the language. It's not so much the 12 steps or anything like that. It's the language involved right. that really put me off. And I realised that was my biggest barrier to recovery was the language of others. Like, mm. just defective character. It's just something that just kept on sitting in my head. It's like, oh, fucking, I hate that term. Mate, I couldn't agree with you more. It's funny that you say that. Um, oh, we've talked a lot about it on the show. And, and, and again, just to reiterate to everyone, it's not, it's not bagging all that stuff no. because it helps so many and it helped, it helped me and all that mm. stuff. But 
as I've progressed and just talked to so many different people, you're right. There need there, it feels like there needs to be another avenue because a lot of people do rub up against it for lots of different reasons. It just doesn't gel with them. And, and the biggest one, I couldn't agree more with you. It's like the language, you know, and it's just hard to kind of get past it. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's hard, but they do like the actual, you know, the idea of the steps and everything like that. It's, it's right. Like it, yeah, it's true. Like you, you do need to follow it, but with the aggressiveness that it's pushed, like, well, everyone's different. Everyone's got their own pace. And I just don't think there's enough, addiction isn't treated enough as an individual thing yeah and that's what well turning point done really well is they met you where you were at yeah you know like well what do we need do we need something more aggressive or do we need to be more relaxed here or, or you know yeah what can we do and that was the thing that worked that was so reactive but mm. i understand in a in a world that runs off government funding that <laughs> that doesn't happen unless you pay through the nose for private private help and but that's you know, a- that's the thing I think is interesting that you bring up and, and something that, you know, professionals in the space talk about a lot that are trying to advocate for services. And, mm. and I'm glad to hear you say it because I've, I've almost forgotten about it recently. But um, is that thing around, like, we actually have quite a few different services for some things, not enough, but for when people come and need help immediately and it'll be a six week program or a six month program, whatever it is. Right. But the long term support, because really like to effectively help someone in recovery, they need 12 months, two years of like, you know, good kind of aftercare and lots of different stuff. And it's just not there. Like, and it's hard to find, isn't it? And that's what I'm hearing you kind of talk about now. That's it. Like, especially as a gambler, it's a probably a shorter time frame. She given like, was it six free, like <laughs> psychologists? You better get sessions. your shit together in six sessions. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And, and that's nothing on the system itself. It's just that's the way it's funded, and that's the way they think it might work. Because I, I guess too, the other problem is that as an addict, you don't put your hand enough and put yourself into these services. You get discouraged very easily. So. I don't think anyone realises how bad the actual problem is and that the current system isn't for everyone. Like, it works for some, but it doesn't work for everyone. Yeah, yeah, 100%. So just going back, and and I want to kind of dive into your story and ask you a few more questions about yeah. the show and stuff, but the other thing that I was, like, highly interested in, which I thought was cool, is that, yeah, I was I was really interested to hear about just having the camera people there and and, you know, like, Cause I always wonder for them, like I imagine maybe I'm probably making assumptions here, but you know, they're, they're not counselors in the space or anything no. like that. So it's probably quite a strange fucking thing for them. Like I know that's their job, but you know, following someone around watching them gamble or watching them use drugs or whatever it might be, you know, it's probably tripped out. How was that like just having them there talking to them? It sounds like they were really, they were really good and, and asked you some good questions. And stuff. Yeah, it was, it was funny because I remember the first, the first day I met Vince or the first day he was filming me. Like I met him the day before Melbourne, or a couple of days before Melbourne Cup. And he goes, oh, we'll start, we'll start filming you on Melbourne Cup day. Like if you want to see me at my worst, film me on the day before. Yeah when I'm trying to get money to gamble and stuff like that. And he's like, no, 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 we'll just get you a Melbourne Cup. I'm like, why is this, why is this romanticism about Melbourne Cup? Like, it's just another fucking day to me because I'll 
every day is my Melbourne Cup. I'll gamble as soon as I've got any resource in my hand. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, that anticipation is exactly the same. And he just didn't really get it. Yeah. And he's like asking me all these questions. So I can't go, mate, I don't really give a shit. Like, I, in reality, I just put on bet on to, to sort of satisfy that urge, like, the show, well, this is what I do. Yeah. And, you know, that was, that was wrong by me. But, um, yeah, he's... His outlook and his romanticism of what a gambler was at the start compared to what it was at the end was fucking amazing. Like, he was actually like calling me out on certain little things in like February or March. Like, we were going to go to the football and he was going to film. And in my head, I was like, oh, I'm going to show you how easy it is to, to gamble self excluded. He's like, you're just using it as an excuse to gamble. I'm like, yeah, well, you're right. Awesome. So, <laughs> you know, little things like that. Like, he would just call me out on like, he's not trained at all. He's got, he's, got a very good understanding of social issues and stuff like that, but he had no grasp of what addiction was. And yeah, yeah, it was amazing to see him change what his perception changed. Mm. That was the rewarding thing. Mm. It's like he came out with a really, really clear understanding of what addiction does. Cause I think that's interesting, right? Um, you know, and it's, and it's, and you said it before, you know, he, him and the others would ask you just little questions that you don't sort of think about. And, and it's something that I'm hearing more and more like sort of through interviewing people on this show is that, you know, that old saying, like you go to the hairdresser and they're kind of like, I haven't been to the hairdresser. (laughs) But you know, you go to the hairdresser and, and, um, and, and, and yeah, they're like the psych, you know, that they help you through your problems. Um, it's kind of that principle I've been finding with people. You know, so many people are saying that it's great to have the supports, but more often than not, like a lot of good help that they've been getting is like from the personal trainer, from mates, from from family, just just randoms that kind of just say things to people frankly or in a supportive way, yeah. but just down the line. It's, it's interesting how that kind of stuff plays out. It's that community piece, like... Not everyone close to you gives you what you need to hear or you don't want to hear it at that time from that person. Yeah. Like someone asked me like about self-exclusion and they're like, why do you think it doesn't work? And I go, well, I don't listen to anyone when they tell me what to do when I'm in the middle of feeding my addiction. Yeah. Of course it's not going to work. But it's that same principle. Like, you know, my son was probably the main one calling me out my whole entire addiction, but I didn't want to listen to him. Yeah. It's not that I wouldn't. I just couldn't. I just couldn't separate it. And then someone else, like just a random would call me out about it. I was like, shit, maybe I do have a problem. Like every time someone I didn't know called me out about it, like that's when it hit harder. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Because it's kind of like, I, I, I 100% agree with you. It's kind of like, it does hit hard because it's almost like, oh, wow, like they can see me, you know, or yeah. like what I'm doing is not actually hidden or, or something like that. I don't know. It, it does hit harder. I think you're right. So tell me, um, I know we saw your story a little bit on the show, but mm-hmm. I kind of want to get the contextual version. Give us, give us the five minute, because I know it's probably... A, <laughs> it's a long story. It's a, it's a book. It's, a, it's an upcoming bestseller. Um, but like, give me the, um, give me the five minute snapshot version of, of you and your addiction history. Yeah. My addiction history. It's probably something that as I go through recovery that I find more and more to my story. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm remembering more and more like 
it seems like the better I get mentally, like it's like a filing cabinet at the moment. A new memory pops up for me just to chuck away and like think about. Yeah. Like that's been an interesting thing. But I guess my, as much as I hate to admit it, I guess my uh, my story starts with my mother as a gambler. And I refuse to see that one. Like that was a part of the problem, that nature or nurture debate. But don't have the answer for if it's nature or nurture, but that's where I sort of gambling influence from was always in my life. But my addiction side probably goes well before mum started gambling. Like I yeah. remember having a lot of compulsive behaviours and you know, collecting like basketball cards and stealing them and fantasizing about them and wow. like going to all these measures that I would never go to before and like those sort of addictions progress throughout my life. And I guess that comes from trauma or just comes through general addiction, mm. you know, just coping mechanisms. And then I hit about 14 and, you know, the closest person in my life started giving me drugs. Yeah. And that was an escapism. That was great at the start. And then that carried on. Like I just lost years. Mm. And in that time, I think mum's gambling problem got worse and worse. You know, we lost everything, big family rift. Robert hadn't spoken to her for 20 odd years before she died. Wow. You know, part of that because of it, and you know, a lot of other things as well. But my sort of drug addiction just sort of grew and grew. And like as I got older, you know, I could mask it easier. I could like do normal things, I could work, I could go you know, have relationships with all disastrous. They never really had a, a positive ending, but yeah. you know. It just kept on manifesting and I never really realised it. And I never gambled because mum sort of put me off it, like maybe once a year. Like, yeah. But I would never go to the pokies. Like, nah, fuck this. Like, I can't do that. I just saw the destruction. Yeah. And then I hit about 29. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I, I think I just hit this weird part, you know, break it up out of a serious relationship, friendship groups changing, all that sort of stuff. And I just remember gambling one night online. It's like, oh, I've seen it on, this looks fun. You know, my favourite sporting team is sponsored by this gambling provider. I might try it out. And I just remember losing like three or four hundred bucks. Oh, yeah, that was fun. At four o'clock in the morning or three o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Which is not normal at all. I was like, this is fun. <laughs> and that, that experience stayed with me. And then it really picked up about six months later. Yeah. And I was working in the city and I had to go get change for work. And I said, I'll just go to the TV to get your change. Mm-hmm. And I was doing that. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'll have a $5 bet here and there. And then by the end of it, I'm stealing out of the safe and gambling with it all and chopping and changing and putting it all back in. And that's where it began. Wow. Like yeah. it just got, it just spiraled. And then the next like six or seven years are a blur. Like they all just mash into one experience. Like kicked out of six or seven houses, a couple of suicide attempts, you wow. know, losing friendships left, right, and centre. But no, not long term ones, but. You meet someone new and then you'll fuck them over just to feed your addiction straight away and they're gone. They'll come and go. Yeah. And then uh, there was a lot of stuff going on. My best friend died about seven years later. Um, someone really close to me was going through a nice addiction and I was helping them through that, like more, more so than anything else. Like uh, looking back at that now is me deflecting my own addiction, yeah. like helping someone else and like just going to extraordinary lengths. So we moved to the Mount, uh, Blue Mountains. And that's when things got really bad. Great for them because they overcome their addiction. But mine spiralled like out of control. And that's when I started to realise, fuck, I've got to do something. Like, wow. Two, two serious attempts, a lot, 
of fucking stupid decisions along the way, including I was I used to work for a couple of corporate bookmakers as well, bookies. Oh, so right. and and adding working in the industry, first job was okay, yeah. But the second one was a disaster. I ended up feeding myself a a lot of free bets, which ended up getting me fired. Yeah. And at that period when I got fired, it's when it all started to hit. I still remember, like, she walks me out the building and it's just like, fuck, the hardest thing you did in there was not just saying where you're at, but the real journey, the hard parts now, I'm thinking, oh, fuck, they're going to sue me, they're going to take me to court. But no, he just meant overcoming my addiction. That's all he meant. And then from there on in, it's just life got, life got hard. Yeah. <laughs> life got very, very hard. Yeah. And I had so- no one enabling me. So, so it's so it sounds like it sounds like you know you feel or you have the understanding that all that all that life stuff and all that shit that happened hmm. sort of drove a lot of your addiction. Would that be right? I don't know. I really don't know. The, the only thing I know that drove the addiction was the addiction itself. Like I'd walk out the door and I'd just end up gambling. Yeah. Like I didn't know anything else about how to gamble. Like, I wasn't gambling to win. I was gambling to know how to live. Like, there was just this burning inside of me that I had to do it. And I remember one night in the pub when I was living in Sydney, and um, it was a Monday, and no one bets. And, like, I got paid on the Monday. I took a day off work. That's, like, that That was the limit of my gambling. Like, I'd, I'd skip out of work at lunchtime and not come back or whatever. Yeah. And I just didn't go to stay. <laughs> and it was a Monday. There's fuck all. There's fuck all on a Monday. Racing yep. wise or sport wise, and by and by about four o'clock in the afternoon, I filled up two bins of like just scrunched up like bets. Wow! And I burnt for a few grand, and like I'm still there at ten o'clock at night, and the security guards laughing at me, going, "Oh, did you win your millions yet?" And I'm just like, seriously, like, what do you mean? I'm not here to win millions. I just I can't leave. I physically couldn't leave. I couldn't even order lunch within that time, and they're just sort of laughing, like. I've got a serious fucking problem and you, have, yeah. you haven't just sort of done something, but they can't at the same time. Like I wouldn't have listened for one, but mm. I just physically couldn't remove myself. Mm. So yeah, fuck. It's, it was just a different beast. Like I don't think it's anything to do with life. What happened in life? It was just something that was always there and it was just amplified by things that did happen in life. Like, if there were certain circumstances, then that became another part, like another mechanism of my addiction as a coping. Like, well, do I have to go do this? So I have to, you know, I'm a piece of shit. I have to gamble to to make myself feel that low to know how to live. Like, there was so many different facets to my addiction that, yeah, it wasn't my experiences. It was just something that was there from as long as I can remember that manifested. It's just this giant ball that just gathered more shit along the way. So that's why it's been, that's why recovery is a long process because you have to undo all that. And like, I'm probably what, realistically about 14 months into my recovery where I've like felt like I've had to grasp of what I need to do, what I can do and realize that it's on me and I've got all the tools I need to do it. But I'm still uncovering shit and, you know, as I go along and I expect that's going to be the rest of my life. Like just finding new things that will maybe come from there. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. So how did you or how have you kind of learned about addiction and how, how do you sort of understand it now? Like, is it 
like for you, is it got to do with trauma or has it got to do with like a genetic thing or like how have you understood it? Oh, I'd really love to know. I think this whole process has made it more confusing for me. <laughs> like, you know, there's, there's really no clear line to what it is. Like, yeah, sure, trauma is a, a major factor, but I, I still believe that it doesn't discriminate and it could get anyone. Like, it could get someone with no trauma and anything. It's just, there's something inside, like, there's just something inside of you that would just, just snaps. Like, I didn't even consider myself to have any addictions before gambling, but realistically, I did. Mm. Just like That's gambling right. was a, a completely different beast and I just didn't realise the ferocity that it could overtake your life. Yeah. And whether that exists for everyone and they just haven't found that magical trigger yet or that, that thing that gives them that release. Yeah. I really, really, really don't know, but... Interesting. I'd, I'd like to know, but... Um, so, so, it, so it sounds like that doesn't sort of matter to you as much. No, it did at the start because I felt like I had to have that answer. Uh-huh. Like I felt like I needed that answer to undo it all. But realis- realistically, I'm probably never going to know yeah. what it is. I'd love to know. And I think every scientist and medical professional out there would love to know what causes it too. But yeah, we could sit there and say it's trauma. We could sit there and say it's a lack of help. We could sit there and say it's a willpower, which it definitely isn't. And lack of control, it's definitely not. But yeah. Look, the only thing everyone leans back to this trauma and yeah it does exist in a fair majority of the cases but at the same time not all yeah 100 percent. oh and it's and it's just the reason i ask is because so many of our listeners and so many people when they first enter in this stuff you know you just have that question like what the fuck is wrong with me <laughs> yeah you know what i mean and it's just so hard to kind of understand why you're doing the things that you're doing you know? Yeah, I think I think that's been what's happening in my recovery is that I'm never going to understand that. Or I feel like I'm never going to understand that and I have to let go of it. And it was like with um, gambling as well. I was always waiting for the industry to change, for me to stop. Yeah. And that was the stupidest thing I could ever do. Like, yeah. sure, there needs to be change, but there needs to be change in the health industry. There needs to be change from the consumer myself. Like, it's no one party's to blame and there's no one common link to me like it everyone's going to have a different creation story to the, to their addiction mm. so and that that was hard for me to sort of grasp that but now i sort of realize that then everything's been okay it's it's been on the right track 100 percent. so it's interesting you know i never like to say that any one addiction is worse than the other but gambling is for me gambling is particularly heinous um Mm. just because of the you know the kind of the hole that you can get yourself into that inner functioning kind of society that we live in it's hard to operate if you get too far down you know and and sort of win back those meaningful things because unfortunately the society that we live in revolves around, you know, money and all that sort of stuff. So, um, like how hard is it? And I'm not sure what your situation was in terms of debt and and all those sorts of things, but how hard was it to kind of get your head around that stuff and and find a pathway out? I haven't found a pathway out now. Like, I'm, I, but this is the other part to recovery as well like i'm never gonna own a house i'm never gonna have a credit card i'm never gonna gonna do all the normal things that most people can do because of my gambling yeah like i've completely fucked my finances in the terms of like 
the higher powers of financial yeah you know i'm never going to be trusted and probably shouldn't be really but um yeah i'm in a hole for the rest of my life because of gambling and i think most gamblers go through that like because it's worse me i never had that stuff to lose like if i had a house to lose i'd probably rather that actually because yeah. that would have been my hole that would have been my bottom like i just dug myself like my starting point is just so fucking low just taking a quick intermission break in the middle of the podcast here because we actually had some technical issues halfway through this show but i thought that i would take the opportunity to tell you guys um, in this break about Recovery University um, and what we're doing with that because it's brand new and improved and we've just relaunched it. Um, so one of the missions that we have here at Real Drug Talk and Connection Based Living, our treatment um, company, is that we want to help a million people all around the world transform their lives out of addictive patterns um, because we believe addiction is really unnecessary suffering. And one of the ways that has come evident to us that we have to do that is that we have to be able to get the right recovery information into people's hands and minds um, and make it more accessible. And one of the ways that we can do that now is with the internet um, and we're starting to see some really cool changes and really cool results. So as, as um, a consequence of all of that, we've put together Recovery University. Now, I wanted to do this as well because I have had a different um, journey with learning and wish that it could be delivered differently to me. So this isn't just an online course, but Recovery University is an online platform where we have a series of courses um, and programs all implemented into one portal, um, which is Recovery University overall. Um, and then we have lots of different individual courses within that, you know, some core trainings on how to get clean and sober and change your life, um, some stuff around health and fitness and resetting your biochemistry, personal stories, libraries. We've got things coming on physical fitness and how to manage mental health, financial, um, how to structure your life financially, all the stuff that's really important to you as you're going through a journey of recovery and that is now up and relaunched um, on our website. So we would love for you to check it out. If you're not quite ready to commit to that yet, it's only 75 bucks a month. You can cancel anytime, but if you're not quite ready to commit to something like that, we have a free course that you can enroll in that is super in-depth um, and super um, you know, valuable. It's actually a course that I created years ago um, but all the information in there is amazing. So, you know, um, please just go on and check it out if you're not quite ready to commit to full treatment or anything like that or you just want to check back in re with recovery and, and make some changes in your life. Recovery University could be right for you and it's just so jam-packed full of value. We're so excited about it and we're so excited to relaunch it. So um, thanks for letting me take that little break to tell you about that. To check that out, it's www.connectionbasedliving.com and then just click on online program and you can have a bit more of a read about it there and check out the free course as well. Um, so back to the show. All good, all good, mate, all good. Um that's why we can edit. It's it's good stuff. <laughs> so yeah, you were saying that um you you know you you kind of feel like you're and as you can hear the tradies are shooting nails in the background for me as well. So it's yeah. okay. Um, so you were saying that um you yeah you you sort the of hole. In, in the hole and that you know you if you you felt like if you actually had a house that you could <laughs> that that might have been a rock bottom for you. Yeah, yeah. Look, if I had any possessions beforehand, that probably would have been a good starting point because I would have realised what I've lost. But you know, I grew up in a in a typical you know house commission single parent household, and 
we had to fly for everything and you know never really had had anything handed to us nothing was ever easy yeah. and whatever i sort of earned for myself was well and truly my addiction phase so everything will go back to feed my addiction like i've just never been able to get forward at all but if i feel if i would have got forward and had a house and start to lose then that's easy enough to build back from but because i've yeah. built myself such a low starting point it's like well by the time i get there <laughs> you know i'm going to be like 60. so you know i'm yeah. almost 40 now so like it i'm I've, I've done the math for the first time like yesterday and how much I'm in debt and it's like 170 grand. Yeah. And, and that's just without owning anything. You yep. know, that's, that's just borrowing to feed addictions. That's not including everything that I sort of spent on my own money or won or stole or whatever. Yeah. Like, fuck it's, it's gambling is just out of control. At least when I was doing drugs, there was a physical limit. <laughs> You know, or there was just something ridiculous that would just make it come undone. But with gambling, because you, you're fully aware and your body's with it, like you go to means that you would never think of to survive, mm. defeat it, mm. and it puts you in a hole. And that's the part where I think a lot of people just ignore too, like the actual cost of what gambling or what addicts do. Like, especially working within the industry, like I saw there's this fine line between like spending a lot of money and be able to sort of afford it and having a problem. And that's really sort of hard to decipher apparently according to the industry. But what you see is this <laughs> chase, this chase, and it, it isn't, it isn't like you can't assume that's, that, that, that's the hard thing. You can't assume someone has a problem, Like you can never assume someone has a problem, but the lengths that I would see some people who I'm not going to say names, but are very, very notable within Australia, like, gamble is mm. fucking ridiculous and they're just going oh, no no they've got the money like they're fine you know if they had a problem they would say or whatever and like well you know they're chasing like they've got like a you know two hundred thousand dollar credit line and they're in that credit line every week like you know, wow. if that's not an indication of a problem well, then i don't fucking know what is but yeah you know like the, the problem is when you start gambling when money is not yours and we see that time and time again in the media that you know such and such as being put in jail for embezzlement or you know whatever like that's the length you go to because you can't stop and i think the industry at one point was thriving off that not so much anymore but you know they just don't want to see it hear it they don't they don't like it if someone has a problem they'll help where they can but same time like they don't want to hear it yeah <laughs> unless they 100%. make it very very obvious and that's a problem within itself. So yeah, hundred percent. And that's why I say like, it's particularly heinous is because like with drugs and alcohol, right? Like you, you kind of, you take them and, and your life's going down the drain and things are fucked, but at least you're sort of numb for a period of time because of the actual yeah. drugs, you know? And I know gambling does kind of numb you a little bit as well, but you are much more aware of mm. what is happening in your life. And, and that's why the suicide rates are so high, aren't they? Because people... Suicide rates probably higher than what we actually know because right. not enough people put their hands up to say they're a gambler. Like there's, sometimes there'll be no clear path to show that they are. Mm, that's right. That's right. And, um, yeah, I find that so interesting. Um, and And... Has that been part of, it sounds like it, 
all the debt that you're in and all that stuff, has that been part of your recovery process to kind of go, I'm, I'm, I've just got to, this is my life. This is, I got to deal with this stuff. Yeah. 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 hundred percent. Like, um, you know, I think this year's been lucky. Well, I'm never going to buy a brand new car or anything like that anytime soon or anything like that. Just like normal dreams that normal people have, or, you know, 70% of the population have is that I probably won't get there barring some crazy fucking stroke of luck. But, you know, I don't don't put any lotto tickets on or anything like that. Because we all know a stat behind that, like 80% of like lotto winners become bankrupt within the first 10 years or five yeah. years of winning or whatever it is. Like, wealth doesn't sell anything. Like, it, it sells fucking nothing. Like, I remember the times where I won, like, tens of thousands. And I would walk out of it, walk out of the TAB with a bag and then go put it into the next venue. Like, it's just never enough. Yeah. Like that's the hard thing of gambling. Like whatever you win is never enough. There's no ceiling to it. Mm. Like we said, drugs. Like you sort of there was a there was a ceiling there without you knowing it. Mm. You know you have a point where you hit your physical limitation of gambling. Like fuck, if I if I could have stole millions, I would have. You know, like in the peak of it. Like yeah. there's no limitation. Yeah. No limitation. Yeah. So so um, what? Like, has it made you think about what's really important in life? You know, because that has been taken away, the financial yep. side of things, has yep. it made you kind of consider what really matters in, in the world? Yep, definitely. It's, it's made me be a lot more appreciative for what I have and the fact that I'm still here and still managed to have stable employment and somehow managed to find a house, yet, you know, like I didn't pay rent for months on end and other <laughs> places like you know it's just there's so many things i learned for addiction on how to survive that are just invaluable that yeah. you know i wouldn't take back for the world you know as much as it destroyed my life like i feel like i'm so much fucking stronger for it yeah like that 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 was an experience within itself but i don't, I don't know i i I'm really, really grateful for everything. I'm more grateful for the relationships that I have now that are much stronger. Yeah. That, that's been the biggest and best thing. Like, I didn't speak to my daughter for five years because mm-hmm. I was ashamed of gambling. Mm-hmm. And now, oh, that's fine there. Kids are fine and everything's good and normal. Normal Amazing. there. Like, like, that's the best it's ever been. So, yeah, that's what I'm grateful for. And everything else like, that comes with life now is a bonus. Amazing. Yeah. And so I'm interested to know, so all this is going on and, and mate, it's so inspiring to hear because it's, you have such a big story um, and a lot of shit that has gone on. And, and that's what I, you know, I always get amazed at just the adversity that people can actually overcome. It's pretty cool. Mm. You know what I mean? And I think it's an important message for people to hear. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. Cause you don't, you, I was lucky, I was thinking about this this morning that yeah, I didn't lose hope until about a year or two years ago before things really got bad. And that's when things really got bad because there was always this sparkle of hope. Like it might have been a pebble, but it was always like, all right, I can get through it. It's just not the time. And that sort of drove that resilience. But then that hope just disappeared out of nowhere. And then that resilience is gone. But then you find it again and then it comes back bigger, brighter, you get through it and you're glad yeah. you did it. I look back at 24 months ago, like, fuck, how did I, how did I live? How did I live like that? And probably 24 months ago, I probably thought I was in a good place. 
and that's that's the sad part. It's like when I was asked about you know when I started a show, it's like, oh, I was in a great place then, you know, because I wasn't gambling every cent I had. Yeah, it's like shit was bad. Like that first episode, I was staying at a mate's place. Like I had nowhere to stay, mm. and a friend just put me up in their bungalow for three months, and I sort of was only supposed to be a couple of weeks, but I couldn't find a house. Wow. So just like little things like that. Mm. So Interesting. It was so, on. so that's what I wanted to ask you. What, uh, like, tell me, how did you? You know, I'm always interested to hear. You know, obviously you have this massive story with gambling. Like, mm. what was it at the end? Like, how did you get into the show? Like, how did you decide that? Yeah, I want to. I want to change things up in my life. Like, how did that all come about? It was a weird one. Uh, 2019 was probably my biggest year of realization. I think it was just like another sort of in vain suicide attempt, another big loss. Wow. And I've just gone, well, fuck, I can't do this anymore. Like, what am I going to do? Mm. And at this point, I was living in New South Wales. I was like, well, fuck it, I've got to move back to Victoria. Yeah. Like, I've got some support network there. I don't really have any family or anything They're here anymore, apart from the kids now, obviously. But um, nothing like that is a, a suitable support network. Like, you can't dump your shit on your kids. And you can't expect yep. them to like you for it. But yeah. I had friends like, right, look, this is a starting point. And just be more open and honest there. That's where it started. And then I got back in August and I was looking for just just something to do. There's this desperation finally inside me to find something that worked. Like, just try anything you can and everything and listen to everything. And if you hate it, still keep on going. And then I was just like browsing the net at like 11 o'clock one night, just flicking through and... There was a sponsored ad or there was an ad on SBS for, you know, we're looking for addicts from the age of 18 to whatever and would like to participate in a new program. Wow. All right, I'll give it a shot. And I just remember how, like, how much I was hustling and was like, have you made a decision yet? Am I in? Am I doing the program? When do I start? When do I start? Like, it felt like months, but realistically, I was doing this for like five weeks. Wow. Like, this is how desperate I was. Like, I was just hounding them. Just like, I just, like, I need to do this. I needed to do it. Like, didn't worry about the actual program itself, but the treatment, like, the way to, tr- what they, the way to describe the treatment was just, like, everything I'd been looking for in my head. Wow. Wow. And so, so there was no sort of nerves on your part that you were going to be on a national TV show or anything? No, a little bit, but the desperation outweighed it. Yep. And yeah. I worried about the nerves later. The nerves definitely come later. Like I was definitely made the production company's life a hell. Like I mean, you can't, <laughs> you can't show this, you can't do that. And like in reality, what they showed was very, very soft. Yeah. But hearing all my friends talk, like this week alone, a few friends go, "Oh, sorry, I couldn't watch the show. It was too heavy." You're like, wow. Fuck, everyone's been like that. Like they haven't been able to watch the full amount because it was heavy. It's like, fuck, really? Like as an addict, you don't see it. It's like that's nothing. Yeah, that's that's just the baseline of it. But for someone who hasn't suffered an addiction or dealt with someone close, they're like, oh, I can't deal with this. That's right. That's right. It's interesting, isn't it? It's very yeah. interesting. Um, so cool, mate. So cool. So, and, you know, like what's happened since? So you did the show, like uh, I have to ask, you know, how, how are you going now? Is Because is, the show... So when did the show air? It was about three months ago, was it? Yeah, so the show aired from November 10th to December 1st. Yeah. So a few months ago. Yeah. Um, so realistically, we've only been out of the program for like three months. Yeah. You know, so 
but the so, bulk of it, the bulk of it, because the filming happened before yeah. November, obviously. Yeah. Um, so the bulk of it was kind of early 2020. Would that be right? Uh, uh, yeah, most, most of it. So from November 2019 to March, April 2020. And then the catch up in September. Yeah, time flies. Time flies. Yeah. So, 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 so yeah, you've been out of the program kind of for three months. Yeah, like how are you going? How are you how are you finding everything? It was a bit of a slow slog at the start in December once it all ended because that was the hard part is like separating your journey from the show. Yeah, and like where because people will like will talk to you about it obviously, and they only see like a snippet and they just come to their own conclusions. <laughs> and and every answer like every question went well, but you're okay now. Yeah, like, that, yeah, again, my gambling's fine, but but everything else, like I'm, I'm dealing with that, and that's what the show didn't show was the recovery. Yeah, I showed the treatment, but I didn't show how much much of a a shit storm recovery is. But, yeah, uh, fuck that. That's that's the hardest part. But uh, I think yeah, since mid January, it's everything's been just back on the right path like from december once that show ended and over the christmas period as you know for an addict is usually a hard period anyway then getting back into the normality of the year once all that sort of started again and like yeah i'm feeling the best i've ever felt and just trying to find what works for me now and that's all it's about now just keeping one foot foot from the other one day at a time uh it's been 12 months over 12 months since my last major loss in venue yeah that was my biggest problem was gambling in venue it's yep. been almost a year since my last bet in venue. I wow. tested myself the other the other week. I went to the venue where I last gambled and I was shaking. I didn't right. know why I was there. I thought, fuck, I'm going to gamble. So I minimized all my money I had. And it's like, if it happens, it happens. Don't worry about it. It's just another fall down. Who cares? It's like, you yep. work out what you need to. But I got there and I realized it wasn't about gambling at all. It was about showing that I don't have a fear of it. I shouldn't be fearful of it. Yeah. I shouldn't be fearful of just going outside and walking into a venue because of COVID. I never really had that chance to complete that step Yeah, in its yeah. whole, like in a norm- normal way. Like sure, I've got to go on and sign in, done all that. But now it's starting to ease up a fair bit. So yeah. it's like, oh, fuck, why am I so nervous? Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Got through it and yeah, it's the best I've ever felt. And, I uh, know I just have to keep on engaging and I think December I hit a little bit of a rough patch, but that's because I stopped engaging and just started believing everyone saying I was okay. And no, no, I'm not, I'm not there. I'm never going to be there. And I can't think like that. Like you, every day is a new day and you can't forget you're an addict, but you can't think like one either. So yeah. Amazing, mate. Amazing. So good to hear. And has there been anything that's come for it for you personally? Like, have you been inspired? It sounds like you're, you're interested in the space, you know, you've made a couple of amazing pertinent comments on, on some of our Instagram posts yeah. and stuff like that. And yeah. That's the part I'm working at now. I think that was the hard part of where I had to really sort of separate myself because oh, how do I say this? There wasn't a lot of promises, but there was a lot of false hope given that, oh, you know, you might be able to work in this space or you might be able to have a, a voice for change mm. and you sort of get lost in that. Mm. And um, now it's sort of like hitting the reality. It's like, well, you know, the conversation started, which is what the doco was about. And that's great. But what do I do now? And I sort of felt like I had to go work within that space because I lived that life. Yeah. And I was like, well, no, like, just give yourself a bit of time. And I think, like, I was pushing myself to go in there and I was probably just being a complete dick about it as well. And 
just being overly aggressive, trying to force myself into that space to try and like get experience and just get by hitting not brick wall after brick wall, but you'll probably know better than anyone else. There's just so much red tape into even like working within that field. Like you're expected to, you know, volunteer and you're expected to take this minimum wage, but you've got the most experience out of anyone there. And yeah. uh, you know, like it's, it's just this weird mental gymnastics that you go through and you have to do it. But look, Man, I'd like to, but I don't think it's time yet. I couldn't agree with you more. I'll have a conversation with you after, yeah. after this, because I think you might be interested in, in a couple of things, but um, just talk about that a little bit, actually, because so it's something that I've that we've started. Me and a, another lady, her name's Lily Owen, um, and we'll we'll work out how to get you involved. But basically, we're um, because of exactly what you just said. Um, you know, we we really feel like the lived experience voice is kind of it's not structured and formalized in no. the alcohol and drug sector. But ironically, from what your experience is, from what my experience is, and from everybody that I talk to that turns their life around in some capacity, is that the most powerful thing for them was hearing other people's stories, having people with lived experience help them. You know, that was actually what <laughs> was a big part of making the difference. Um, so, you know, like, uh, yeah, like, I don't know. Is that true for you? Like, I don't want to make assumptions. Yeah. No, no, no. It, it's a, look, I'm not going to discontinue Adder and Dan because they were fucking amazing. Yeah, like, that's right. They were vital. But it was funny. I'll, Craig sort of touched on this a little bit in his. But, uh, the peer thing wasn't, it wasn't really pushed. Like, it was there, but it wasn't really going anywhere within within the show. Like, it was just there, people going in, turning up, and sometimes majority not turning up. And which they don't really show is like how unengaged that people become within groups mm. and then they get back in when they need to be, be engaged and whatever but i rem- remember just having one of these days i was just ranting and everyone was an arsehole and i fucking hated everyone and i didn't want to do this anymore and mm. like, all right i need to stay because it's like i'm telling myself i need out it's like no you gotta stay but and it's like have you spoke to craig it's like what the fuck's he gonna do like he hasn't reached out to me he hasn't done anything he hasn't done this and then he talked about this. There was this one session where it was just me and him. Yeah. And on, for Craig, I felt like he was always hiding something. He was just holding back. He was just trying to sell us the answer. He wasn't using his lived experience. Yeah. He was just trying to be a support, like the same support that was already there. And then he just fucking caved. He was just like, yeah, I had a relapse here and I've been like dealing with this and I've been struggling with that. Like, this is exactly what I've been waiting for. This is what I needed to hear. And what we talked about was the exact same like feelings and like emotions and repetitive like thoughts will go through in our head. Like, well, we've hit a financial spot. What do we do? Well, we'll go gamble. We'll go do this. And like the thinking was exactly the same. And to hear him sort of echo back at that right time was what I needed. So it's it was the most valuable piece. I hate to admit it, but it definitely was the most valuable piece of that piece for in the group because it was hearing it back from someone who could explain the mechanics of their addiction, not say, well, have you tried this or can you work through it this way, but actually explain their mechanics and like, well, right, what can I, what can I learn from your mechanics to, to fix mine? Like that was the good part. That was the part that was helpful. That's right. And that's what, it's so amazing that you say that, right? Um, because 
that's what like people don't understand that right that's what lived experience is it's, mm. it's not about coming from a place of authority it's really mm. getting on the same level and going this is what i struggle with this is how i'm feeling right now when i was going through that that's what happened you know this is where i've had some success and that's where the power is and we're kind of emotional, emotional beings. You know what mm. I mean? Um, I always say to people, <laughs> you know, like if you had like ideally in an Aboriginal and um, Torres Strait Islander service, like mm. it's pretty agreed that you wouldn't send a white man in to like a remote Aboriginal community mm. first up mm. to try and help people. You'd, you'd send someone of, you know, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander yeah you know, culture, they're going to connect with them. <laughs> it's interesting to say that because that was part of the reason why we moved when we did to, to help that person reconnect, reconnect with their culture and their family and their family identity. And that's exactly what they needed was that identity with culture and stuff again. And that was vital. And, you know, I can't even imagine how hard it is in that, you know, the Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander space, you know, because you do need that connection to culture and land. 100%. That would have been fucking vital. But yeah, you do. For me, I need to see that connection. I needed like what I felt like a family. I needed a community. Yeah. And that's something that yeah. didn't really exist in a loose space, like not in a GA base where it's just like, you follow these 12 steps and you follow me and yeah. I'm your sponsor. Like nothing like that. I'm glad that works. But it's just like that wasn't for me personally. Yeah, 100%. Um, and, and that's what we're trying to do um, because... You know, and sorry, everyone, um, I'm getting renovations done to my house. There's tradies in and out. And my beautiful dog is uh, barking at the new people. So sorry if you hear the dog. But um, that's, what, that's what we're trying to do because we recognise that there's, like I was saying before, so many people say exactly what you said, um, but there's no formalised structures around it. Um, okay. And that's what, that's what we want to do. So, you know, I, I would love to kind of get you involved in the experience matters collective and what we're doing with it um, because it's just needed so much. And, and, you know, I actually believe, don't, don't get me wrong. Like I believe in therapy and I believe in treatment. Yeah. We run, I run a treatment program, you know, like I believe in it, but there is like a big part of this, for most people that I've found is that they just, you, you need to provide people with a sense of belonging and connection, yeah. help them to relate, feel like they're not alone in the journey. Um, and that gives people enough strength because a lot of people just know the answers intuitively themselves yep. as well. You know what I mean? Like, well, that's another thing. Like I knew the answers to what I needed to do, like within the first like month of being an addict, like I knew what I needed to be done, but I was already so stuck in it. I couldn't couldn't get that help that I needed. And it's funny when you talk about the connection. I remember every group session I would go in and like they would do the check in and be like, "Hey, feels like disconnected. Like I just felt so disconnected from the group and what was going on." And then there was this point where that disconnection stopped. Yeah, where I've obviously heard yeah. enough and like got enough from it. It was like, "Fuck, I'm I'm into this now." Like I. I went to every fucking session. I went to every, you know, appointment with the psychs. I went to everything. It was like, if that's not connected, then I don't know what it is. I can't do any more than that. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent, mate. That's so cool. So just to just to finish up, um, this has been an awesome interview. Um, I've loved it. So thanks so much. Um, but 
if you were able to, you know, I want to change it. A lot of people say billboard, but I want to change it to, um, to Facebook ad <laughs> um, because, you know, we're in the 21st century. If you could have, and that's how you found out about this show and kind of set you on this yeah. journey. So if you, if you could say like three things that you've learned that you think everybody in the journey needs to know, like what would you, what would you tell them that could have millions and millions and millions of dollars put in a Facebook ad? I don't think I could, I don't, I've, I've had similar questions put to me and I don't, I don't think there's anyone to answer to it. Like everyone has a different trigger point and there shouldn't be a universal saying or, you know, this is what you need to do because that's, that's what I fell in the trap of too. Like how recovery was packaged and how the answers were packaged. Like, that. you know, like, it's just like, well, fuck, like everyone's got a different answer. Like you, it's, it's cliche. It's like one day at a time, like, just keep going like just because it didn't work the first time doesn't mean it's not going to work the next time like there's nothing you can really say to anyone like you really have to listen to their story first before you even have an inkling of what to say because everyone's got a different path you know love that mate hey and i think if we put that in the facebook ad that would be pretty fucking powerful <laughs> so there you go um hey i've just thank you so much for coming on and you know I'm not um, blowing smoke up your ass or sucking up, but thanks for doing the show and agreeing to it because I know a lot of people that it's impacted and, and have been inspired by it. And yeah, it is super courageous to kind of get out there and, and, you know, put yourself up and on the line. So it's amazing, mate. It's amazing. I'm glad I'm one of the 10 people that actually had the courage to go, well, fuck it. It doesn't matter. I'll do it. That's right. Because a lot of people didn't do it. So right that's right and and just for everyone out there as well you know such a positive experience for for lucas but you know like there was a lot of people that got down the line that didn't do it because of the tv show um, yeah. aspect and there was also a lot of people that just that just missed out that wanted to do it as well um and like i imagine i'm making it up but i'm i'm you're making it up oh they, am I? yeah they, str they struggled yeah to oh really yeah they will get to that final stage and be like, oh. And from all the stories I heard, they haven't really told me too many, but from all the ones I heard, it'd be like their partner or someone in their family be like, you shouldn't do this. And that's the sort of pushback I got as yep. well. Interesting. So, yeah, it was hard. I, I think as an addict, a lot of people would have done it, but when it came to considering, that that was the hardest part, is considering yeah. your families. Yeah. And, and how they're going to feel. And that's a good example. I'm glad, you, I'm glad you corrected me on that because that speaks so much you know, just before we finish, that speaks so much to how layered this issue is with stigma mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff, is that, um, which I totally understand not doing it for family and things like that. Um, yeah. and, and I reckon I would probably be the same. Um, but, oh, I struggle with it. Yeah. 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 Um, but it just shows that at that society level, the stigma and how that might impact family and then how that prevents people from getting well, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It does. It's a big barrier, but it's not to their deterrent. It's just like, well, how much do you want them to know? Like, that's the hard thing. Yeah. Like you don't. You don't want to pass it down. You don't want to continue that cycle. Yeah. In yeah. ending it, like you don't want to push it down the line. So, 100%. it's a hard, hard, hard line to sit, and it's not easy. But oh, fuck, I'm glad I did it. But at the same time, I don't think I'd ever do it <laughs> again. Now that, now that I'm there, like, no, nah, yeah. I, I don't think I can do it again. But. I probably would in saying that if I hit that same desperation. Yeah.
Amazing, mate. Well, yeah, thanks for putting yourself out there and being brave and, and thanks for coming on the show. We're going to have you back on in another three or so months and check in, see how you're going. Yeah, cool. No awesome, mate. Thanks. thanks for coming on. All right, thanks, Jack. Okay, guys, that's another episode of Real Drug Talk. Hope you enjoyed it. Um, as always, if you or a loved one um, is needing help with addiction or addictive patterns, you can visit www.connectionbasedliving.com.au. We have a series of different programs um, that we offer that can help, including Recovery University, our six-week growth healing coaching program, and also our 12-month coaching program. Um, just reach out. Sometimes it's best just to just to have a call and just chat about things. Um, and if we can't help, we'll definitely point you in the right direction. Um, hope everyone has a great Sunday uh, here in Melbourne. The sun is out and shining, so I'm going to go and enjoy some of that. Um, and just stay safe and take care. All right. Um, look forward to be vibing in your ears next time. Peace.